0: Welcome to the Social Work Stories podcast. My name's Liz Murphy and I'm joined here today with my friend, Dr Mim Fox. Hello, Mim.
1: Hi, Liz. Hi, everyone.
0: You're not overly happy at the moment, are you, about what's going on at work and at unis at the moment? I know there's a lot
1: going on and for those of you around the world who aren't in Australia, I know that you're dealing with COVID in different ways in your various contexts and It's impacting everyone in so many different ways, Liz, around the world. Here in Australia, uh, people have probably seen in the news that we've had a different kind of curve, a different kind of um, landscape with COVID, uh, that nonetheless has had an impact. And one of the big impacts in the university sector is the uh, slowing down of international students coming to Australia to study. And the spotlight that that has brought onto the finances of universities across our country. So we're, we're in a really difficult situation in the university sector, generally speaking. But at the same time as that, we've got some recent announcements that have been made that we're struggling with in the social work profession because uh, the government has decided to make some changes around the amount uh, of subsidy that is given to various programs that universities run and some have been raised and some have been lowered and some are the same and it's linking to priority areas around training and employment and there's a large discourse, Liz, that's happening in our media and in our environments that's very heavily around uh, job-worthy professions and all of this sort of stuff, validity in different forms. And one of the fallouts of all of this is that social work programs have actually been classified as society and culture, which puts us in a very high band uh, and could make social work education really expensive going forward for our students. At the moment, we have a real fight going on between the profession and the government about trying to get us banned differently because we are in the wrong band. We should be in allied health, which would put us in the same sphere as all of our colleague healthcare professionals that we've been battling primarily through COVID with alongside. So hopefully that will get us somewhere. Hopefully we will push through this time. And um, I want to say to all of our listeners who... I know are in the middle of social work degrees, are contemplating social work degrees in the future, our practitioners who work with students every day and with each other side by side and in the multidisciplinary teams and really battling it on the front lines, I just want to say to you all, hang in there because we are fighting together, we are banding together and fingers crossed we'll get somewhere in all of this and we will come out the other side um, stronger. That's my hope, Liz, that we come out stronger because there is a massive integrity in the education that we provide to the social work profession in this country and a massive value in what we know that we deliver in our work. And we know that everybody else acknowledges that as well. Mm. So hopefully, hopefully, we'll hear some news soon.
0: I hope so, Min. Yeah. And thanks for summing up really well what is currently going on because um, I would imagine that a lot of people haven't been aware of, of what's currently taking place. But, you know, we will keep on carrying on too, you and I, and the of social course. workers who are telling us their stories and sharing their stories. like Oh, it's an
1: amazing gift, isn't it, when a social worker sends us their story, which just shines a spotlight on this often hidden work and that's part of what we're struggling with right now isn't it the social work is largely hidden but when they send us in just a story that blows your mind ah oh, it's a real gift and i want to thank those social workers hugely for that
0: yes thank you and thank you i'm preemptively thanking this particular social worker and we want to do something different with you this episode, listeners, we're not going to say too much about this next story. What we want you to do is listen to it in its entirety and observe your reactions to it from the very beginning right through to the end. Not going to say any more. Mim and I are going to join you on the other side of this story and share our reactions with you enjoy
2: I am a social worker in a large and busy hospital I work in the acute aged care ward which is a secure ward that has 30 beds in this role I work with older people who often have complex medical and psychosocial issues Because my clients often have cognitive issues or are reliant on other people for their daily functioning, I generally have to work closely with the families, carers and formal services involved in my client's life. Person-centred care is central to my role and I primarily see myself as an advocate for a healthcare approach that responds to the psychosocial aspects of my clients' lives. In the case I'm talking about, social work was referred to after my client presented to hospital for treatment of a skin condition and medical staff assessed him as being dishevelled, confused, and found out that he was homeless and sleeping in his car. After my client, who for the purposes of this um, discussion, I'll call Brian, came to the aged care ward, he was originally seen by a social work colleague. I subsequently took over when my colleague went on maternity leave at that point brian had been in hospital for 53 days to give you some background brian is a 79 year old male who until a few weeks prior to admission was working part-time as a bus driver in a private bus company brian was let go from his this job due to issues with him not turning up for shifts at the right times Brian had also recently separated from his wife after having been married for four years. After the divorce, Brian remained on the rental tenancy and was paying rent to his ex-wife, though at best he slept in the car in the garage. Brian alleged that his ex-wife had been violent towards him, but he did not appear to have insight into issues which we identified as being concerns of elder abuse, such as financial abuse. Earlier in his life, Brian was married with three children. His youngest child died as a result of falling out of the vehicle while Brian was driving. His wife then died of a serious medical condition while in her 40s. Brian is estranged from his other two children. During his admission, Brian's main purpose in life was to honour the memory of his first wife and daughter by attending to their graves on a daily basis, caring for the roses that he was growing there. Not being able to leave the hospital to care for his family in this way was a significant source of distress for Brian and it was something which she talked about basically every day. While in hospital, Brian was assessed by a neuropsychologist and diagnosed with likely Wernicke's dementia, possibly caused by alcohol use or malnutrition. Brian was deemed to not have legal decision making capacity with regards to where he lives or the management of his finances. From a hospital perspective, Brian's main issues were his cognition, his homelessness, social isolation and vulnerability to abuse. From a functional perspective, Brian was independent with his own cares and was able to manage basic meal preparation. By the time I took over, Brian had been appointed with a public guardian and public trustee. My social work colleague had proposed that Brian be referred to the Atch program uh, which stands for assistance with care and housing and it's a program which assists older people with access to housing with the aim of discharging Brian from hospital into private rental. In order to access this service Brian was referred to My Age Care for a RAS assessment. These assessments don't normally take place in hospital and this one only took place through special permission from the Ministry of Health. To be eligible for ACH assistance, the client also needs to have lodged an application for social housing with communities and justice. When I took over the case, Brian had had his RAS assessment and we were waiting for the provider of the housing assistance program to accept a referral. My colleague had previously discussed the case with the ACH program and so it was expected that this referral would be accepted. Unfortunately, Atch determined that Brian was unlikely to be approved for social housing assistance due to having a dementia diagnosis and being under the care of the public guardian. Atch expressed concern that Brian's level of impairment would place him at risk of harm if discharged into the community and they recommended that the hospital proceed with placing Brian into an aged care facility. I organised a case conference with the guardian, the treating geriatrician and the occupational therapist to discuss discharge options. In this case conference, it was agreed that there are risks for Brian if discharged into the community. However, hospital staff were only able to theorise about what these risks may be based on Brian's cognitive profile and his recent psychosocial issues. It was also suggested that Brian may only be functionally independent due to his experience of living in a supported environment where he had regular food, medicine and social interaction. The hospital team also acknowledged that if Brian had pre-existing accommodation, we would propose to the guardian for a trial of services in the community with further assessments then happening in the home environment regarding Brian's ability to live independently. However, because there was no accommodation in which to complete this trial, it was instead proposed to the public guardian that Brian be discharged to an aged care facility. Brian was opposed to this discharge plan, but he was open to visiting facilities and considering the options the public guardian consented for the hospital team to proceed with a referral to ACAT for access to residential care. Social work was then contacted by ACAT and advised that Brian's functional independence, in spite of his cognitive issues, precluded him from meeting eligibility criteria for residential care. At this point, I felt really stuck. From the hospital's perspective, my value as a worker is linked to discharge planning And even though discharge planning is not my key professional identifier, the pressure of the hospital system to get this man out of hospital was really weighing on me. At the same time, I had Brian, who was desperate to leave the hospital, and he really could not comprehend why anyone was concerned about his safety. His human rights were being impacted because he was being kept in hospital against his will, and his legal decision-making rights had been taken from him. He wanted to be able to live his own life like he had always done but he had the guardian, hospital staff and outside agencies determining what risks he could and couldn't take. The good thing about ACAT saying no is that it forced us to reconsider the least restrictive option of discharging Brian into the community. Another case conference was then held with all parties involved including the ACH program. It was hoped that by having ACH attend the conference, they may reconsider the referral for housing assistance. But unfortunately, Atch declined the referral again, this time based on Brian being a patient in hospital and their focus being on working with people who were already in the community. Atch stated that there was no significant support they could provide in lieu of inpatient social work. I then began the difficult and time-consuming job of locating available private rental properties that were affordable within walking distance of the cemetery where Brian's family were located and close to essential services. In order to proceed with an application for private rental, I needed the consent of both the guardian regarding an accommodation decision and the consent of the public trustee regarding affordability. Because Brian was on an age pension he had limited income available, he also had no furniture and minimal personal possessions. I therefore assisted Brian with an application for rent start assistance and I contacted charities regarding possible furniture and clothing donations. In the end two suitable rental properties were located and Brian was happy to live in either. To facilitate this transition I also organised the delivery of white goods completed the condition report for the property, arranged meals on wheels and set up an electricity provider. Brian was discharged from hospital after 112 days. Following discharge, Brian was supported in the community through the transitional aged care program. The coordinator provided case management to Brian and the Allied Health continued to review and train Brian with living independently in his new home. The program's social worker continued to liaise with Brian, public trustee and the public guardian regarding outstanding psychosocial issues that were not fully addressed during hospital. When this three-month program finished, Brian was approved for a level one home care package and he currently receives basic case management through this. Aside from a brief presentation to ED for a skin related issue, Brian has not re-presented to hospital and continues to live independently in the community. He was discharged from hospital nine months ago. This case really impacted me in a lot of ways, both personally and professionally. In the 50-something days of working with Brian, I developed a strong relationship with him and I really felt for him as a person and what his life was like at that time. From what I knew of him, Brian had a gentle and sweet personality. He was chivalrous. He would always insist on holding the door for me when we had to go somewhere off the ward. He liked to tell stories about his life and make jokes. If I told him I would come and speak to him and then fail to for whatever reason, he would gently reprimand me for not coming back. He described himself as not being very social and being a bit of a loner, but he was constantly socialising with staff and other patients on the ward. One of my favourite memories of Brian was the one time I was able to take him up to the cemetery where his wife and daughter are. Brian had expected the roses to have died because he wasn't there to tend to them, but they were blooming. And the moment Brian saw these roses, he started crying with joy. It was like he was home. I took photos for Brian of the graves and then had them printed and given to him. The fact that I spent time making moments like this possible for Brian was built on my understanding of him, my valuing of him as a person and his inherent self-worth as well as my appreciation of the importance to Brian of being able to maintain his relationships with his deceased wife and daughter by visiting them. At the same time because I felt so invested in Brian's life it was hard to stop that relationship and let go. My role is limited in scope. I only work with people on the ward and there was also lots of things that I didn't get to finish up with Brian. For example, I really wanted to be able to address the issues of suspected elder abuse and to advocate for Brian with his tenancy rights. He was still a registered tenant on the property with his ex-wife and he still had possessions in the unit. But by the time I picked up the case, the hospital's focus was on discharging Brian as soon as possible. At the same time I knew that the police wouldn't be able to press charges because elder abuse is not a crime in Australia and Brian had willingly been giving money to his ex-wife for rent. It was helpful that Brian had a team of health professionals who I could hand things over to, like getting his possessions back, but because I had been working with Brian for so long and my own personality traits are to be very thorough and to see things through to the end, it was difficult to let go of my involvement. Brian also found it difficult to understand that I would no longer be involved, though I kept telling him that I only worked in the hospital and I introduced him to the next social worker. I think Brian saw me as a daughter type figure because he wanted me to be his next of kin, which I I had to politely decline. The case also highlighted to me some of the systemic gaps in how we care for older people in our society, as well as the prevalence of attitudes that are ageist. For example, Brian didn't fit neatly into criteria for assistance from the ACH program and he functionally didn't need residential care. The argument from ACH that Brian needed residential care because he had a dementia diagnosis did not really acknowledge the specific ways that Brian's dementia impacted him at that point in time and it didn't validate all the ways which Brian was able to function. From my perspective, it felt like people heard the words dementia and guardian and then presumed what he could and couldn't do. In contrast, my social work training helped me to identify and focus on the strengths that were evident in Brian. I also based my advocacy for Brian to be discharged into the community on my understanding of his human right to make decisions, even if there is risk involved. Although Brian had a substitute decision-maker, my aim was to support him with his own decisions and to then present Brian's decisions to the Guardian. Lastly, while Brian's case really emphasised to me a lot of the issues in our hospitals and aged care systems, the case also showed me the potential for social workers to really impact someone's life for the better. Because Brian's issues weren't considered medical or functional, Social Work was really able to lead the case and hold a pivotal role in advocating for a discharge plan that was focused around Brian and his wishes, while trying to provide as much support and minimise risks where possible. This involved daily advocacy to the multidisciplinary team and to the bed flow managers in the hospital, who were frustrated by the long length of stay and couldn't understand why an elderly man with dementia wasn't allowed to be placed into a nursing home. The pressure of arguing the case every day took a toll on me emotionally, but overall, I think the whole case helped to build more resilience in me because I had to learn to tune out the noise of the hospital system and focus on Brian's care and what I was doing in my role as a social worker. In the end, I think Brian got the best outcome possible and the case has helped me to have more confidence in my skills as an advocate and in my ability to keep going when things feel overwhelming.
0: Are we going to fight each other for whose reaction goes first?
1: <laughs> I I think, Liz, you are going to have to take the lead here because I'm still sitting honestly ah. on some level I am still sitting with my response so you go all right you
0: go. so I'm going to be completely candid here and when I first started listening to this I was walking along the street and I had headphones in and I thought oh okay so this is an aged care um, it's, it's it's going to be a, a piece about an interaction between this social worker and this um, elderly patient and I listened to it on one level and then at some point something happened to me and I wish I had timed it because suddenly I got taken onto a completely different ride to what I had anticipated I could not have imagined for a minute the layers that were going to be revealed to me as I was listening to this for me, Mim, this is a glorious case study uh, that I'd like to come back to. But first of all, I want to hear your reaction. Like, like, how did you react to it?
1: Oh, Liz, I, I feel the same way. I started listening and I thought, oh, this is really transactional. Yes. Yeah. This is really, we're going to hear about process. And we did. We heard step by step the detail of the story, right? Uh, almost as though it was case notes being read out. Mm. Okay, like detail by detail. And then suddenly she shifts gear. So suddenly where um, the heart that came out of this story, oh my God, the connection that she delved into, for me, um, it, it took my breath away actually because so often, Liz, you know, you can be looking at um, a, a case or a story from one angle, and yes, the case notes are one angle, or the way you communicate about a case with your colleagues on the front line is one angle. And then there's another angle that you sit with in a much more private sphere, right? Which is actually the impact that this person has had on you as a human being. Not yes on you as a social worker, but also on you as just a human. And that's how deep she actually got. That, and
0: that touched me. It really did. That was, um, that was something. I, I hadn't thought about that, actually. The heart is what was revealed. And you're so right. The heart was revealed. And in and amongst that, the candid discussion about the impact that it had on her, her practice, her character, and also the lessons learnt I found that um, I, I thought to myself: If someone brought this to me in supervision and did it like this, I would get down on the ground and kiss their feet because, because of all of the processing that had been going on. Yeah. And I, like, I want to say to social workers who sometimes who aren't quite sure about what would a good supervision session look like. Yeah, listening to it. Yeah. Like this is gold standard in terms of the practice, but also in the reflection. Well,
1: that's it, because often you go into supervision and you're busy and you're stressed and you're hurried, and so, and you know that you're supposed to bring a case. So you bring a case and you talk it through, and it becomes very procedural, and then you say, well, what do I need guidance on? Oh, okay, so um, like, for example, in this man's case, I've been knocked back by um, this service, I've been knocked back by ACAD, I've been knocked back, where do I go next? That might be the tangible problem that you are bringing into supervision with you, right? But actually, what she's showing in this story is that that's not enough. You need to come from there and reflect, actually, on the importance of this person's story.
0: And the ethics. I I love the way that she brought it back to practice principles and ethics. Yes. Challenging the fact that this man's um, freedom had been um, impinged by by going down the guardianship path. But the, the beautiful navigation that she wove into her practice around that dignity of risk... She was still persisting in, in getting him his own autonomy. Um, the and idea the that
1: someone else can constantly be determining the risk for this man. You could hear that frustration in her, right? Mm. At one point, she said que- they were querying the unknown risk. Like,
0: how dare they? <laughs> and and it, this, is, this is, as she said quite clearly, and I'm a hospital social yes. worker. You know, discharge planning is not my identifier, like yes. in terms of my profession. But the tenacity in which she pursued a... Well, it was so beyond discharge planning. It was, yeah, it was... Um, I Like, when I was working in community health, I my colleague and I used to have this tiny little bottle of champagne that was just sitting in the fridge all the time. But every so often we'd pull it out when there was a gain... Of yeah, some sort, a little win a little win yeah but when I, I was reflecting on that when I was listening to her and I was thinking it would be a magnum that this person should be pulling out of the refrigerator because the pressure that she would have been under as well yeah like again she could have brought that to supervision she could have yeah. brought down the pressure of that hospital establishment going get this man out of our hospital it's been Fifty plus days. Well, it was one hundred
1: and twelve days 100... by the end of it. My God! Of yes. course, she would have been hearing it at every meeting, every turn, right? And she would have been blamed for that.
0: Do you think this was one of those those um, cases for one of a better expression that that were a turn that was a turning point for her in terms of her reflection on herself as a social worker? potentially yeah
1: potentially I, I wondered whether it was one of those cases where when you're living through it you're in the everyday like the first half of the story that she told right you're in that everyday and you're struggling around the the where do I go next and what do I try next and you know the detail and it's only later that you sit down and can actually really appreciate the lessons that you learnt from that person Mm. and from being able to walk alongside them in their experience for that period of time, what that really taught you about yourself, about life, about
0: vulnerable peoples in that position, about the system that you're working in. And about you as a social worker working within the constraints of that system. Yes. Yeah. And how you keep on featuring that person brian
2: mm.
0: in the center of it all yeah because if this social worker like I, the other thing i thought about was if you remove social work this social worker from from brian's recovery trajectory yes. this discharge person, yeah what would that have looked like if there was no social worker especially like this one out of the equation what would have happened to this man i think you and i both know well, he would have been stuck.
1: I, I I, feel like at some point, someone would have convinced a nursing home to take him.
0: Or oh, homeless. I, I went down yeah, the homeless he have, car. Yeah,
1: he, could have, he would have ended Maybe. up homeless. Or, yes, yeah, so he would have gone to some sort of short-term refuge, temporary refuge from the hospital, ended up homeless. Or I feel like someone higher up would have convinced someone somewhere to get him into a nursing home just to have crossed the T's, dotted the yes. I's, right? And... What she highlighted so clearly was so a saying that he was not actually able to go to a nursing home, and they did it twice, I think mm. was this was actually a saving point because it forced the hospital to look at other options and it forced the services to have to get come to the party right
0: so so we so so thank you for kind of filling in that question, mm. but we go from that possibility to a social worker who takes a gentleman to the grave oh, sites of his, his deceased wife and daughter t- to look at the roses and even take photos of it. I mean, we're, we're, this is a, a remarkable um, story. Oh, it's, it's... Do you think she did that? because she wondered whether that could be the last time he gets to do that well I thought it was because it was his major concern that was what he talked about every single day oh absolutely and he's
1: obvi- he was obviously carrying trauma you know from the death of his daughter in that horrendous description of her falling out of the car and the ex-wife but I also think I also wonder had he ended up in a nursing home had he ended up do you know what I mean? But so, but she this might this stage, have been worried. Sure, that but it was at this stage, I
0: thought it was that the the they got the accommodation mm. close by, and I thought in but my you thought mind it was, later. Yes, in my mind, I'm thinking about it as a beautiful ending to their their work together. Oh, okay, listeners,
1: just have another listen yes. and see which direction. To I feel like I do. See, too. I'm going down
0: the Hollywood path. <laughs> I'm going. Bah, bah. <laughs> Beautiful music. the yeah. Beautiful. The roses are blooming. They're greeting that <laughs> honestly, I've got it in my head. The gravestones are there, and the social worker is standing beside, taking the photo, and he's just welling up. Re- I feel like this all happened in the
1: hospital. But okay, all right. I mean, we Listeners, all know who's
0: who's ending that you want to listen to. I mean, it's yeah, no definitely. One, I'm not one. doubting the the wonderfulness. In fact, of I'm your not going to re-listen to it because I want that one. See. <laughs> Well, what I liked about this
1: story, though, was that actually did end almost like a Hollywood story. Like, you know how we have so many stories where you don't know what happened to that person in the end? Well, it's this one. Oh, my gosh. Like, the social worker helped him get back into the community, stand on his own feet, right? He's still got public trustee and public guardian, yes. But, you know... I live in Sydney, Liz. When someone says private rental, I quake in my boots at the price that that costs, right? So for her to have achieved that for this man who is on a pension
0: and under the guardianship board, like yeah, yeah, uh, unbelievable. That is a Hollywood Uh, ending. uh, I know. I know. (laughs) And I'm going to keep that grave scene right there in the forefront of my mind. Um, And, I, I mean, I guess we should say a big heartfelt thank you to this social worker for um really just blowing us out of the water with regards to the the beautiful um lessons that we've learned listening to it and i know you're going to be using it with your students absolutely. absolutely i'm going to be using it with the people i supervise this now is a little template <laughs> this is what i
1: expected yeah. in supervision yes. says liz <laughs> um yeah, I. You know what I was thinking. I when I sat down to listen to it, Liz. I'd had a really busy day, right? Like, and my brain was moving a lot and fast. And I listen, and as I started listening, I was thinking, "Oh, okay, this feels predictable in some ways, right?" But then my heart stopped, and actually, it slowed me right down. And I really hope that happened for our listeners, right? Like, just that capacity, the slowing down that happens when you are witnessing human connection in action, it's just beautiful.
0: It is beautiful. I really want
1: to say thank you to the social worker. And, um, and I really hope that this sort of story inspires other social workers to send us in their stories.
0: Oh, me too. Oh, whoops. Can I just do one little rant? Oh,
1: rant away. I wondered whether an episode would go by without a rant. I'm
0: surprised with myself that I nearly went, you know, ended without a rant. My rant is this. This social worker has highlighted for me how the, the amazing work that's done in um, the aged care social work space. Absolutely. And my little rant is sometimes we privilege certain social work practices being more, what's the word? And I don't want to say sexy. Juicy. Okay, juicy. That's better.
1: Is that better than sexy? Well, I'm I not sure. I don't know.
0: Yes. Yeah, no. We, yeah. That could definitely end up on the editing floor, that one. But anyway, just in case it doesn't. What I wanted to say was this social worker highlighted for me and challenged me. Like I found myself too going down that path like, oh, yeah, that older yeah. person. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, this is beautiful social work, and it should be highlighted as as we would any other form of social work practice. Yes. But often we don't. Often we get lots of people who, you know, will write us in requests for the forensic social worker or the critical care social worker or the I social know. worker. And I'm not saying that work is not valuable because, gosh knows, we've both been practising in that. But aged care social work, I just wanted to have a shout-out and say... Spectacular. I want to have more aged care stories about the work that's being done in that place and really honour the work that those social workers are doing because
1: I agree, I agree. And, um, and I, I, we've said this, um, on early on when we started doing this podcast, Liz, and that you know. Um, Australia doesn't have a lot of social workers who work in nursing homes. We have some, but we don't have as many as other countries do. And so if you are an aged care social worker working in a nursing home out there, we would really encourage you to send us in your stories because I think it's really important that we see the breadth of social work practice that happens in all the various contexts, right? There's also a number of social workers out there working in older people's mental health Uh, Services, And I think that's a really interesting area of practice as well that we really don't hear enough about in the everyday. So if you're in those services, in those teams, send us in your stories. It's as easy, Liz, as just doing a voice memo into your phone and then emailing it through to us. You can get get in touch with us on our website, www.socialworkstories.com. We really, really, really want to hear those stories, so bring them in. Before we finish up, Uh, the other thing I wanted to say is that we've got some really great journalism interns working with us at the moment Liz we've got Hamish Cole and uh, we've also got Noni Reginato Noni Reginato who's fantastic and um, we're really enjoying having journalism interns working with us on the podcast our regular listeners will know that we often have social work students with us we're going to have some more later in the year But but this is really exciting for us as well. So if if you've been looking at our website, if you've been checking out our new blog or you've been enjoying our Instagram or Twitter posts, uh, tip your hat to our journalism students because um, they're doing a great job.
0: They sure are. Thanks for remembering that.
1: That's all right. We also want to thank uh, Ben Joseph and Justin Stash, our producers. And Liz, I want to thank you for your beautiful words and your insight as always. Ditto, my friend. Thanks, everyone. Have a really good couple of weeks. Bye. Bye.